0: COVID variants take over. It's like a new pandemic. It's like a new kind of virus that's a lot like the other virus. It's, it's like it's child. Experts weigh in believing provincial numbers are way off. The Vancouver Canucks long recovery from COVID with most of the team knocked out where the first infection might have originated. And dirty money and politics.
1: This day has finally arrived and it's been such a long time coming.
0: The list of high profile former politicians called to testify about money laundering in BC casinos. Good evening, and thanks for joining us. Chris is away tonight. We begin with a stark warning about what could happen with COVID case numbers in BC if things continue the way they are, with no further measures and no change in people's behavior. As Amadagahi reports, some experts say their numbers show variants are a much bigger problem than the official count indicates. This is Cortado.
1: It has survived more than 50 years on the drive, and it will survive this too. But the owner of this well-known Italian coffee bar says it won't be easy.
3: It's very bad situation for the small business like us.
1: The tables are empty. Business is down 75%. Do need the sleep? So it should come as a surprise to you to hear she supports... A full non-essential business lockdown.
3: Because otherwise it's going to be longer and longer, uncertain time to be like this. It's hard for us. It's like a mini cappuccino.
1: And as new variants of concern are becoming a larger part of the province's COVID-19 conversation each day, modelers like this SFU professor also say it's time to sound the alarm. Some people have said it's like a new pandemic. It's like a new kind of virus that's a lot like the other virus it's it's like it's child. She says her projections show daily case numbers jumping up to 3,000 per day by the end of the month and of the new positive tests in the province right now it is likely half are COVID variant.
4: It has more transmissibility and that means what we were doing before it's great we're doing all the right things
0: but maybe we weren't doing them strictly enough.
1: But are British Columbians aware of the new threats? and what it poses. It's as much an issue as the original
5: COVID-19. I have to not get infected, <laughs> you know what I mean? Personally, I'm not concerned, because I know like, if you have good vitamin D and you stay healthy, you don't have much to worry about.
3: Maybe we could know a bit more. This is your tartado and americano.
1: Back at the coffee bar, the owner is even willing to help spread the word.
3: Even me, if I have a new uh brochure or more information about the new variant that I can pass to my client.
1: If it can get more people to pay attention. Emadagahi Global News.
0: Meantime, across the country, Ontario Premier Doug Ford has followed through on his promise to take drastic measures as COVID variants continue to cause major problems there. Aaron MacArthur has the details of the new province-wide stay-at-home order and the tightening restrictions elsewhere in Canada.
6: Instead of Easter services, it is now temporary fencing and RCMP cruisers at the entrances. The Grace Life Church west of Edmonton forcibly closed by Alberta health authorities one day after the province slipped back into phase one restrictions. The only responsible choice Premier Jason Kenney forced into the move he vowed he wouldn't take by the sudden surge in variants of concern. Doctors in Alberta warning the measures don't go far enough.
7: We have the high proportion of variants of concern um, compared to any other province across the country.
6: The Ontario government tried and failed to manage this third wave with regional measures. Wednesday, Premier Doug Ford forced to take drastic action. Facing a critical mass in the ICUs throughout the Greater Toronto Area, for the third time in the last year, a state of emergency has been declared. Again, with lockdown. In addition to the stringent stay-at-home measures, the province also drastically altering its vaccine delivery schedule, prioritizing hotspots and essential workplaces. Vaccines will be eligible for people aged 18 years of age, and over in the high-risk neighbourhoods. What has become clear since the new year is the need to vaccinate as many people as possible. Canada continues to be one of the only countries in the world to recommend spacing doses as far apart as four months to make that happen. That decision confirmed Wednesday by public health officers.
8: The current and upcoming increases in vaccine supply, along with this extended dose interval, is going to support the rapid expansion of vaccination across Canada.
6: Some provinces are seeing their measures working. Nova Scotia has seen just a handful of new cases this week, and the province easing restrictions, opening the border to Newfoundland and Labrador. The Atlantic bubble looks to be stable, as everyone watches the third wave wash over the rest of Canada. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
0: A variant is also confirmed to be a factor in the 25 cases involving the Vancouver Canucks. Squire Barnes joins us with more. Squire, what have you learned about where patient zero might have become infected?
9: Well, they said it was in a community situation. So one thing to remember is the Canucks actually had a break the week before the outbreak happened. And we have heard stories that some of the players might have taken their families up to Whistler. That's not confirmed. That's just what we're hearing. But uh, it was one individual, that's what the Canucks doctor said today in a release, that brought the variant into the Canucks family, and we have seen the results of that. A lot of players on the list, and a new one was added today. Nate Schmidt was added today to the list. And as you said, Sophie, it's 25, 21 players and four staff. Most of those would be coaches. The uh, good news in all of this, if there is good news, is that we're also hearing that the players are starting to feel better. The bulk of the players are starting to feel better. And the NHL, there's a report out of New York that the NHL head office is thinking that maybe the Canucks can get back to work late next week. That's not official. That's just a report right now. But that would make sense two weeks. So uh, perhaps we could see the Canucks playing by the end of next week.
0: Hopefully they uh, recover quickly, and get back on the ice. All right. Thanks for that, Squire. We'll talk to you in sports. All right. Now let's get a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for BC. We have 997 new cases today, bringing BC's total to almost 107,000, with 8,728 of those cases currently active. 14,602 people are in isolation, 330 in hospital, 105 of them in the ICU, and that is a record high. Sadly, two more people have died. And on Tuesday, 33,329 doses of vaccine were administered. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now to talk a little more about where we are seeing that spread. Keith?
10: Yeah, so if you know, every Wednesday, the BCE Center for Disease Control on their website put up new maps of where the virus is in terms of new cases and how it compares to previous weeks. Very instructive, again, telling a story of where the virus is spreading the most. Uh, take a look at uh, where the cases are the most right now. No surprise that Surrey continues to be the hotspot with more than 1,200 cases, an increase of more than 100 uh, since last week. Uh, Vancouver, though, now is starting to surge, an increase of more than 100. But Whistler, you heard Squire talk about Whistler. That's really a problem, more than 163 cases in the space of a week. Tri-Cities is starting to level out at a very high number, and Burnaby is tracking high at 366, an increase of 122. Whistler is considered to be driving the cases, particularly in the west side of Vancouver and other parts of Metro Health Authorities. And so many cases attributed to there, whether it's the Canucks or others, Whistler really uh, contributing to the case numbers over a period of weeks. And now, tomorrow, it's going to be interesting. We're going to get more data from Dr. Bonnie Henry on the hospitalizations uh, and ICU numbers in terms of the ages of people in those uh, particular units. Uh, They are tracking to be younger, and we're going to get more information on variants as well. Uh, One note, it's going to be 2 o'clock tomorrow, not Mm -hmm. 3 o'clock. I know a lot of people tune in and they'll want to know that time change.
0: Mark it on your schedule for tomorrow. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Well, it's a bit like the reality show The Amazing Race for teachers who are desperately looking for a COVID-19 vaccine. Fraser Health has been vaccinating staff in the Surrey School District. But since the priority worker program has been suspended, delaying the shots for other districts, Fraser Health School staff outside of Surrey have been trying to find ways to get the vaccine. Originally, they were told they could have the extra doses that hadn't been used by the end of each day. But now the policy has changed. By the time I got there, they had
3: gone back to no only Surrey educators. And there were people in
11: line from Burnaby, Coquitlam, Langley, Vancouver, all of us teachers, all of us anxious and hoping and
0: waiting to hear when it will be our turn.
8: I'm very hopeful that our essential worker vaccination program will be back up and running. Of course, that's dependent on supply.
0: Now, it's unclear when the program might be restarted. The province says it will either be when AstraZeneca is approved for workers under the age of 55 or when the Johnson & Johnson vaccine becomes available in Canada. Critics are accusing both provincial and federal governments of dragging their heels on changes to sick leave programs. The idea is to ensure people who normally don't get sick pay will be compensated if they stay at home to prevent the spread of the virus. But as Richard Zussman reports, it still doesn't cover everyone.
3: It was an act of desperation for Raven Louts.
4: I I picked up sewing masks um, back in March. March of last year, um, because I had to cancel
7: all my work.
3: By trade, Louse cleans homes and provides elder care. Self-employed, she doesn't qualify for sick days, which means every time she cancels a shift, she loses income needed for expenses.
4: I feel like I really, really can't risk their lives, because that is what it would be if if I'm irresponsible about making those decisions but it's also really hard for me to say okay i'm going to skip a day of work
3: and it's examples like this for why bc labor groups are once again calling for both a national and provincial sick day program and we need to make sure that when workers have symptoms they're not so afraid of not being able to pay the rent or the bills
12: that they stay home and do the right thing we need to use all the tools in the toolbox We need sick pay for these
3: workers. There have been many cases of COVID-19 at workplaces across BC, including at the BC legislature, with more than 2,800 claims of spread of the virus actually taking place at those workplaces. And with more than 15,000 people under public health monitoring currently, there are concerns workplace spread could continue.
13: Even those who do have sick days, it's not enough. When you're required to isolate for 14 days, very few employers are providing that much paid sick time.
3: The federal government does have a program, but it has gaps. Workers are only covered if they test positive for COVID-19 and aren't covered when they're waiting for a test result. Plus, people are only paid if they miss more than half their shifts in a week, meaning you're out of luck if you test positive on a Thursday. BC is aware of the problems, but it's slow to close the gaps months after promising they would.
12: <laughs> we are looking at it actively. Well, uh, we are uh, in, uh, in consultation with the, with those people who will be impacted with our decision. Once we know where they are, then we will make those decisions at that time.
3: Meaning for Laux, now living back at home with their parents, help may not come until the pandemic is behind us. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
0: The Cullen Commission into money laundering is getting political. The list of major political players called to testify about what they knew as hundreds of millions of dollars of suspected dirty money ended up funneled through B.C. casinos. That's next on the News Hour. This patient is Joey Clamchops.
14: He is a
0: wild Northern Pacific America. rescue. The new TV docu series about what West Coast marine experts with animals stealing the spotlight coming up on the News Hour, and Victoria's answer to the stressed and anxious: a hotline to cool you down coming up. Right now, though, some big names in BC politics have been added to the witness list at the province's money laundering inquiry. John Hua has more on the key players from the former Liberal government who will testify later this month and why experts believe what they say under oath will be crucial.
15: Shady money drop offs in the middle of the night, buy ins using bags full of suspected criminal cash. Casino chips worth hundreds of thousands of dollars handed off for all to see. Well, plenty of blame has been passed around over how BC casinos were used as a rinse cycle for transnational organized crime groups. Many believe the laundered buck stops here.
1: All of these things all go back to a politician making a decision to either do something or not do something.
15: The Cullen Commission about to shine a spotlight on provincial government oversight during a time when the amount of suspicious cash flooding into B.C. casinos was allowed to reach an all-time high.
3: For much of the public, they'll want uh, someone to take responsibility for it and uh, that should be the ministers in charge
15: of it. When it comes to key provincial players, the Cullen Commission drawing a full house from the former B.C. Liberal government. Witnesses include former ministers responsible for gaming, Rich Coleman, Michael DeYoung, and Shirley Bond. Former Solicitor General Casheed will also take the stand, and Commission Counsel going all in by calling former Premier Christy Clark to testify.
1: When you're the premier, you're in charge, and so if this is about accountability. The premier is not above accountability, never should be above accountability. BC's current Attorney
15: General David Eby will also be called to testify about decisions made after he took over the gaming file. Still, there's the concern the Cullen Commission's power to compel testimony does not supersede provincial cabinet privilege
1: that means it will have to be waived. And if they don't, that
3: always raises
1: questions. Which I have to say has got to be one of the most gutless things that an elected official could do.
15: Testimony on government response begins on April 19th, answering the public's call to go to the very top. To finally get to the bottom of how BC's casinos became laundromats for dirty cash. John Hua, Global News.
0: The RCMP have solved what seemed like a troubling mystery in the North Okanagan. In late March, the Mounties issued a rare public notification about a suspected police impersonator pulling people over along a remote section of highway near Midway. That prompted four people to come forward with what they felt were similar encounters near Lumbee a week earlier. An investigation has now determined that the traffic stops near Lumbee were carried out by an actual uniformed officer in an unmarked white Chevy Tahoe from the RCMP's Traffic Enforcement Unit in Falkland. The incidents near Midway are still under investigation. There is a deep divide when it comes to police liaison officers in Vancouver schools, and it's the subject of debate debate at the school board office tonight. That's where we find our Nadia Stewart. Nadia, there are strong opinions on both sides here for and against getting rid of the program.
7: Yeah, that's right. Students and advocates were here earlier this evening hoping to draw attention to the program, a program that has been under much scrutiny over the past year. The school liaison officer program has been under review by the Vancouver School Board. They hired a third party to speak with students and get their feedback as part of the review. Last month, those findings were released. Black and Indigenous students consistently said the presence of officers in schools made them feel uncomfortable. Students at this evening's rally remain concerned that the voices of black, indigenous and racialized students are still not being heard. They acknowledge some have said the program has positive benefits but say the negative outweighs the positive.
9: We know that law enforcement represents a larger message in today's society. Um, the uniform, the badge, the gun, it's sending a message. It sent a message to me for sure and to other students that that constable wasn't there to provide mentorship or, or to provide guidance. They were there to police us. They're there to, uh, intimidate us. They're there to scare us into conforming to what the schools are, are hoping to see from us.
7: Now, board members are inside now discussing the future of this program. We will have a full wrap at 11. Back to you.
0: All right. We'll look for you then. Thanks, Nadia. Still ahead, the struggle is real for international students.
16: I had to stop work immediately. I had to stop my studies.
0: Why so many are reaching out for help with mental health since COVID hit. And how BC is buzzing with interest in electric vehicles
4: counterflow is out over at the Massey Tunnel. That's some good news for northbound traffic on Highway 99 out of Delta, where it's finally eased off from Highway 17A. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. International
0: students are increasingly struggling with their mental health during the global pandemic. And for some, the battle has ended in tragedy. Nitu Garcha has more on the calls for government support and how a Khalsa schoolteacher is providing hope to students after surviving a very dark year.
8: You are looking at a man living out his dream to be a teacher. This Khalsa school is giving me new wings to fly again. This recent SFU master's graduate was in a dark place before landing this job. As an international student, the pandemic hit the Singh dangerously hard.
16: I had to face a lot of many things. Like, for example, I had to stop work immediately. I had to stop my studies. My mom was supposed to come in the month of for March. And we had to cancel her ticket because of this coronavirus and the world was shut down.
8: All of it and the added isolation due to COVID-19, he says, nearly killed him. It came a time uh, when I was thinking, like, uh, what's the purpose of my life?
16: Uh, What I'm doing here?
8: Uh, 21-year-old Amrinder Singh died by suicide last September. His friend, who started this GoFundMe page, told Global News the international student was under intense financial pressure, dealing with culture shock, and didn't have mental health supports. His experience is far from unique, according to the BC non-profit One Voice Canada. Its most recent report highlighting what it calls a disturbing trend of death by suicide cases across the country due to factors including rampant fraud and corruption in the student recruitment industry, high tuition fees, and an underground economy where students are working illegally and being taken advantage of by employers.
11: So the exploitation happens. They have nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. They have no choice.
8: Having that choice changed everything for UBC student Gurkirat Singh, who is now a crisis line volunteer. He says without the support and guidance of his uncle, who lives in Canada, things would be a lot different.
12: I would have ended up in a really terrible situation. But I have noticed we don't get enough calls from international students. Maybe they are not aware of those crisis lines.
8: And that disconnect between resources and those who need them is keeping students stuck in a nightmare. Neetu Garja, Global News. A major announcement today
0: to make B.C.'s so-called Highway of Tears safer.
2: Today is a very significant day for everyone who lives, works or travels along Highway 16.
0: The federal and provincial governments have announced $4.5 million toward the $11.6 million cost to establish cellular service along the entire route. It follows a recommendation made 15 years ago to enhance the safety of indigenous women and girls. This after many went missing while traveling that route. The expanded cell coverage will allow those in trouble to call for help even in remote areas.
4: The province is contributing $2.25 million to a Rogers project that will fill in the remaining gaps of cellular coverage on the highway. By this fall, there will be continuous cellular coverage along the full length of the Highway of Tears, from Prince George to Prince Rupert.
0: A new report shows BC has become a leader when it comes to electric vehicles. The Ministry of Energy, Mines and Low Carbon Innovation says there are now more than 54,000 zero emission vehicles in the province. That's the highest reported uptake in North America. We have more than 2,500 charging stations, with more being added. According to the report, our province is well on its way to exceeding the target of the Zero Emission Vehicles Act to have 10 percent of all vehicle sales be electric by 2025. Another war is brewing tonight over B.C.'s wood pellet industry. Critics are calling on the government to halt any approval of new mills, saying a new report proves existing mills are using whole logs and not just wood waste to make their product. Paul Johnson reports.
2: A massive log pile in B.C.'s interior, a common enough site. But according to a watchdog group, these trees aren't going to make lumber or paper but are destined to be burned in power plants overseas.
11: Unfortunately, there is growing evidence that what this industry is actually using are the logs from whole trees.
2: Ben Parfit is an analyst with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Their new report on BC's pellet fuel industry is triggering a wave of criticism from conservationists and unions. The pellet fuel industry in B.C. has long touted itself as producing green, renewable energy by taking wood waste from existing sawmills and making it into pellets that can be burned to generate power. So to the extent that this industry is now taking whole trees to turn them into fuel pellets, critics say that really strains the definition of being renewable and sustainable.
11: So this is a very, very uh, significant issue. Uh, uh, turning point, I would say, in uh, the pellet industry in British Columbia.
2: Enter Drax, a major UK power generator who've just bought up BC's biggest pellet company. Drax needs tens of millions of tons of pellets per year and is looking to BC's forests to supply them. And another project awaiting approval by Victoria would see Canada's biggest pellet mill built near Fort Nelson with the capacity to grind up one and a half million trees a year.
11: This pellet mill would, from the moment it opens its doors, be feeding on whole trees and, in effect, whole forests. Pellet industry
2: leaders tell Global News their business is a green and renewable one because the replanted forests will eventually recapture the carbon released by burning the trees now. That claim, though, is highly disputed.
11: We've seen a growing number of scientists around the world flagging their concerns about the rise in use of wood pellets as a source of energy.
2: Paul Johnson, Global News. Still ahead, raising a
0: stink in Penticton.
12: I was quite shocked. Uh, You know, I thought it was um, just totally shocked. Why a Penticton businessman
0: is apologizing for his putrid protest against homelessness. And a new rapid response team tackling the overdose crisis.
2: Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers,
10: worth investing in.
4: As the evening commute winds down over here on Highway 1 through Burnaby, seeing just minor congestion at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Otherwise, you're good to go. Time to renew your home insurance. Switch to BCAA for local knowledge, customized coverage, and valuable ways to save. Visit bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
0: The suspect in an anti-Asian vandalism attack at Vancouver's Chinese cultural center last year is now wanted on a BC-wide warrant. 47-year-old Eve Castonguay has been charged with one count each of public incitement of hatred and mischief to a property in connection with the April 2020 vandalism spree in the heart of Chinatown. Police allege Castonguay walked into the courtyard of the Chinese Cultural Center on Kiefer Street and wrote disturbing racist messages on four large glass windows. The suspect was captured on surveillance. Castonguay allegedly failed to attend court and a warrant for his arrest was
8: issued.
7: It's rare that we see these charges because it's rare that these uh, types of, of crimes happen, but last year we were seeing an increase of them. So these crimes shouldn't happen, and, and we know that the, there was so much fear out there last year, and there still continues to be fear, but we hope that this sends a message to the community that we are working on these files. We take them very seriously, and, and we are following through the best we can.
0: Tensions about homelessness are reaching a boiling point in Penticton when a business owner admitted to an act of mischief at a local shelter. Global's Shelby Tom explains what happened and why the restaurant owner is now apologizing.
4: Triple uh-oh at White Spot in Penticton. Franchisee Al Mansfield says he was fed up after discovering human feces near his restaurant, which he blamed on residents of a nearby homeless shelter. So he decided to dump a bucket of dog feces in front of Compass House Tuesday morning in retaliation.
12: I was quite shocked. Uh, You know, I thought it was... just totally shocked. The shelter's operator
4: says he since received a phone call from Mansfield apologizing.
12: He did apologize to myself and my staff. I think he regrets what he did, and, and it was just uh, out of frustration. Uh, we don't condone any action.
4: Mansfield declined an interview with Global News. White Spot calls the actions of its franchisee disgraceful. We acknowledge the extreme severity of this situation and will be conducting a thorough investigation into this matter, says President Warren Earhart. Meanwhile, we have asked Mansfield to step back from the day to day operations of his business until we determine an appropriate course of action. RCMP says it's investigating, but charges are unlikely because Mansfield apologized.
12: I don't know if punishment is required or or charges. Um, I think that what we want to do is to move forward and work with our neighbors, not to work against them.
4: Penticton's mayor was also condemning the actions. It's very regrettable that it it happened. Uh, I wish it hadn't. We don't condone
11: any kind of action such as this.
4: But he says business owners near the city's homeless shelters feel under siege. It's the frustration that the businesses uh, and the public in certain areas of Penticton that keep going through day after day after day that led to this. There's heightened tension over homelessness in Penticton as the province uses its powers to keep another shelter open against the city's
12: wishes. Our homeless population deals with a lot of discrimination and and uh, are looked down upon by the community, and I'm sure they feel this is just one more thing.
0: Shelby Tom, Global News. A new initiative has been launched to help deal with Vancouver's overdose crisis. Firefighters will team up with healthcare workers to help connect overdose patients with treatment and support services. It began as a pilot project in August of 2019 and is now expanded into a full-time overdose response team headed by fire captain Jonathan Gormick. Vancouver recorded more deaths by overdose in the past year than deaths from COVID-19. 418 deaths from the pandemic, 564 deaths from overdoses. And the difference between those who died, and they're they're all, these are preventable deaths, those who died of illicit drug overdoses were younger on
16: average than those who died of COVID-19. And they're not just individuals on our downtown east side. These are individuals that are spread throughout our community and people are dying every day from overdoses. It is a health emergency and
14: we recognize that. Still ahead, vets who get wet. My job is to keep my eyes on the animal and uh, time the dart. Yeah. The
0: amazing work of the Oceanwise Marine Mammal Rescue Team, now featured in a TV documentary series. Also tonight, Gala in a Box How One Gatorer Found a Way to Survive Through COVID.
2: You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
0: Each year, a unique facility on Vancouver's waterfront is involved in saving dozens of seals, sea lions and small cetaceans off B.C.'s coast. Now, as Linda Aylesworth reports, a documentary film crew is about to share its exclusive access to the harrowing stories of the heroes behind the Marine Mammal Rescue Centre.
16: Behind the scenes at the Marine Mammal Rescue Centre on the Vancouver waterfront is something a lucky few get to see.
5: I know, they're going to come fill your pool and you're going to get your breakfast really soon, I promise. Yeah, breakfast is coming, I promise. It's going to be good too. Fresh.
16: Sandy, a stellar sea lion, was discovered lying comatose on a beach near Tofino last month. Thanks to veterinarian Martin Helena and a team of rescuers, she's on the mend as is Quatsi, a baby sea otter. She eats uh, 520 grams between clams and squid six times a day. Quatsy's come a long way since she was brought here unconscious and near death.
5: She is just one story and we have hundreds of stories to tell. She just came off to the 24-hour watch maybe about a week ago. They are stories
16: that documentary director Michael Sheehan wanted to help them tell. What you have are beautiful animals in a really gorgeous part of the world that everybody recognizes as something really special. The three-part documentary called Wild Pacific Rescue follows the Vancouver Aquarium's marine mammal rescue team wherever the action is from the operating room
5: I just want to make sure that we've got breaths here no spoilers but it it could get pretty tense with that one
16: to the ocean where we see their sea lion disentanglement program at work
5: That's her. That's her. I got her. Which involves remotely injecting with a dart gun animals that have been entangled in all sorts of garbage that are slowly dying, slowly suffering um, from the effects of that garbage and that entanglement. When it works, it's just the best feeling in the world to, to disentangle an animal. And I'm really excited to show people that sort of stuff.
16: Wild Pacific Rescue starts airing next Wednesday on Cottage Life TV.
5: I think really the underlying goal was just to engage people in in the whole idea of conservation and and the threats that wildlife face and how those threats are related to human activity and then what could people do to limit those negative effects.
16: Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
0: (laughs) All right, time to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at that weather forecast. I see a tiny little bit of clearing way off into the distance behind you, Christy.
14: Yes, exactly. I was going to point that out. That's a sliver of sunshine, a little ray of light at the end of the day, which was a very wet day. You can see I've got my rain slicker on, um, and it was cold, It really cold, not only here but right across the province. In fact, Prince Rupert woke up to snowfall today. Olivia Mowat, our uh, uh, old uh, Global BC employee, hi, Olivia, she um, said, yeah, the snow did melt pretty quickly, but it was uh, tough to have that in the middle of April or partway through April anyways. And we have snowfall warnings. Highway 3, Pulsum Sunday to Kootenay Pass under a snowfall warning. 30 centimeters of snow potentially by the noon hour tomorrow. Coquihalla up to 25. This is a time period, by the way, where you still need to have snow tires if you're traveling the mountain passes. Obviously in conditions like this, but also because it is still regulation through till the end of the month. Tomorrow morning we'll start to see a clearing, but still isolated showers or even flurries in through the Okanagan Valley, Columbia, Kootenay region through the overnight periods, freezing levels will drop to about a thousand meters in some areas. Otherwise, you're going to see sunshine tomorrow afternoon, a really nice day tomorrow. But Friday, that's when we're going to get wet once again, and we're expecting windy conditions. In the meantime, the wet weather will be across the north coast for tomorrow. Again, these areas here, flurries or showers easing through the morning hours. For our region, lots of sunshine tomorrow. But 10 degrees, that's still well below seasonal for this time of year. Friday wet and also cool but check out the long range forecast Sophie yes it looks like we're going to have a nice upper level ridge shift in keep in mind long range forecast you need to keep tuning back in but that's lots to look forward to in my opinion so here's your central windows weather window for today not only did we have snowfall in parts of the province but we had a number of thunderstorms in through the 100 mile house area Williams Lake as well that's a dark cloud there thanks to Daryl very ominous looking sky all right thanks
0: Christy Well, it could be the perfect antidote for the stressful times we are living in. A toll-free hotline from the City of Victoria to help calm your nerves. Welcome to BC Nature Sounds. In this recording, you will hear the
4: beautiful sound of birdsong in the late spring.
0: The service has been put together in part by the City's artist-in-residence, Catherine Calder. According to the website, the project is, quote, designed to bring soothing auditory experiences to individuals in the greater Victoria area and across Canada. When you dial one eight seven seven two 877 2 b that's one 223 2256 you can choose between everything from nature sounds and Indigenous stories to poetry and children's laughter.
9: I feel calm already just thinking about those things. This is an adult laughing. <laughs> adult laughing wasn't on there, I don't think. No,
0: that's not that soothing. That's not soothing at all. More annoying than anything. That's right. All right, uh, we talked about the Canucks earlier. Now the Whitecaps.
9: Yeah, well, the Whitecaps, of course, are in Utah. And because they're in Utah and not Vancouver, they could be vaccinated very
17: soon. We're working on the details of vaccinations right now, and hopefully we're going to get it.
9: But because of the after effects some people go through when they're vaccinated, the Whitecaps don't want to do it too close to a game.
0: Seems like a wise idea. And later, the lazy gourmet gets to work. How the well-known caterer turned things around when COVID hit with its gala in a box. I have issues, but we already knew that. (laughs) (laughs) My earpiece came unplugged.
9: Oh, That actually is a problem, because then the people upstairs can't talk to you. It's like flying blind.
0: Maybe that's not a terrible thing. I don't know. All right. uh, Luckily, it's time for sports.
9: You obviously have issues with those people, too. Um, There uh, is some good news out of the Canucks today. A couple of sources have said that a number of the players are starting to feel better. And there are some reports that say the NHL thinks that maybe there's a chance the Canucks can get back to playing late next week. This is a guess. Maybe they could play that Saturday game against Toronto on April 17th, but that is really a guess right now. A lot of things have to happen for that to happen. A lot of good things have to happen. The uh, total between Canucks players and coaching staff who are on the quarantine COVID list is 25. And um, we're not sure which player was the one who brought COVID onto the team, but uh, we do know Nate Schmidt was the latest Canuck to make the COVID list, which means the list of players who don't have COVID or who aren't close contacts is shrinking. And if you're wondering about that list, there it is right there. The lotto line, still good. Okay, so this afternoon, the uh, Ottawa Senators and the Edmonton Oilers played. It was another big day for Dreisaitl and McDavid. Dreisaitl had three. There's one right there on the power play. And here's a nice goal by Connor McDavid adding to his lengthening highlight reel goal. Total around a few Ottawa Senators before scoring and giving Edmonton the uh, 4-2 win. All right, Toronto and Montreal tonight. The Habs are filling out those games they had in hand on the Canucks. They only have two in hand now going into this one, but they do have an eight-point lead on Vancouver in the standings. Habs are fourth, Toronto is first. That's a goal in the first minute by Austin Matthews. Corey Perry ties at... Uh, less than two minutes later. There was no scoring in the second period. In the third, a lucky bounce for TJ Brodie, and for the first time in 41 games, he actually scores a goal, and that gives Toronto a 2-1 lead, and they are in the third period. The Vancouver Whitecaps will be in Utah until it's safe to come back home and teams can travel over the border, and being in the U.S. means they have a chance to vaccinate the entire team sooner than they would if they were here. But Mark DeSantos says the cabs have to be careful when they get vaccinated.
17: would like that to happen, but when we talk about it, we're just a little bit concerned with some of the effects that it could have for 24 hours or 48 hours. So when do we do it? Um, if we do it too close or 48 hours, 24 hours, before the Portland game we don't know how everyone's gonna react with that so we're just trying to to, to find out the timing of everything and when can we be vaccinated.
9: Well, Ladner's James Paxton has been put on the 10-day it's injured it's list it's after two. straining his forearm on this pitch last night for the Mariners. Had to leave the game. He got an MRI this morning. No word on what the MRI shows. But injuries have been a reoccurring theme in Paxton's career. He's been a very good pitcher when healthy. Unfortunately, staying healthy has been a problem. Another BC boy in the majors, Tyler O'Neal. Watch this.
7: Wow!
9: you break you buy in your face. his foul tip goes right in the camera that's behind home plate right one more look why not 3d baseball right in your face and in your living room And uh, Champions League, big match today. Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern Munich, 2-2, until Kylian Mbappe scores to make it 3-2, and that's the final, and that's three road goals for uh, PSG. Chelsea beat Porto 2-0 today as well.
0: There you go. Well done. Thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Sarah McDonald now for a look ahead to Global News at 11.
8: Soph, coming up tonight, we have the latest details on a large police presence in Port Coquitlam this afternoon. The Vancouver Police Gang Unit and the Emergency Response Team swarming a house in a residential neighbourhood will tell you why. Plus, another reported coyote encounter at Stanley Park and a new warning from conservation officials after a woman was apparently bit while out for a walk just last night will tell you exactly where it happened. And Squire joins us with the latest Canucks news once again as that COVID-19 outbreak sidelining the team continues. That's all coming up at 11. So,
0: All right, sounds good. Thanks, Sarah. Up next, the unexpected dilemma of an event planning company in a year with no events. How thinking outside the box has helped them survive. Well, for more than a year now, the restrictions on indoor gatherings and events have had a huge impact on nonprofits who rely on galas and get togethers as key fundraisers. That's where a BC caterer stepped in, thinking outside the box to create a gala in
13: the box. The recipe for any successful event often has one main ingredient the food.
17: The Lazy Gourmet is a catering and event company.
13: But what happens when there are no events left to cater?
17: When COVID hit and businesses started to close down, we had to lay off over 150 employees, which was probably one of the hardest things I ever had to do.
13: Kevin Mazzoni and the small team that remained were left to figure out what's next by posing just one question.
17: Who needed catering?
13: It turns out the answer was simple. nonprofits that needed to raise money in order to keep their doors open. Over 50% of our revenue comes through in-person events. Like so many others, Big Sisters was forced to pivot to virtual gatherings.
9: Good evening everyone. But
13: despite the obvious limitations, it was determined to provide as much of the experience as possible. What really made it come alive was the Ability to have a gala at home, and that was with the support of the Lazy Gourmet.
17: So we get all the different aspects and touch points of the event.
13: The company's gala in a box has been a huge hit. The menu is created...
17: Sliders, prawns...
13: Wine is paired, along with custom cocktails. So this is a pre-batch that we've made. Then there are the extras all of it packaged and ready to go.
17: We wanted to create an experience for the guests, again, from the, the moment that someone knocks on your door to make the delivery to the time you're finished with the gala.
13: So far, the Lazy Gourmet has done 12 of these events, ranging from 50 to 350 people. That's meant hiring back some of the staff and sustaining the business until things open up once again. That's a recipe for success.
17: People will always need to celebrate. Being able to uh, participate in that has been really important to both, you know, our ability to create a revenue source, um, but also have fun while we're doing it. Kathy Stanton, Global News.
0: All right, well, now we're all hungry. <laughs>
7: it's time
0: for us to have dinner. Christy, final word on
7: weather.
14: Sure. So the clearing or the slight clearing you see behind me is going to move in for tomorrow. Lots of sunshine on the way, but we're right back into periods of rain on Friday before we set up ourselves for several days of sunshine after that. Looking forward to that.
0: Thanks for joining us tonight, everyone. Have a great evening.